The Pat Miller Program. From the windows, doors, and more studio. Your locally owned and operated kitchen and bath center. On WOWO. 1190 AM. 107.5 FM. Depend on it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It is the third and final hour of the Pat Miller Program here on this Thursday. Um, uh, the latest out of Buffalo still in critical condition. Um, the Bills' safety Damar Hamlin, in what was just such a freakish thing that happened over the weekend uh, in that football game, very grateful that protocols were in place, that people were on him in seconds and able to actually restart his heart there on the field. Um, and uh, and uh, now he's probably positioned in a very good place where, in fact, he will be able to uh, uh, make sure that uh, he can get back to Life. I don't. I'm not sure what football looks like for him, but uh, get back to some real living. Let's go to the, now to uh, Washington D.C. and our correspondent from Real Clear Politics uh, there in Washington, uh, Philip Wegman. Philip, good afternoon to you. Hey, Pat. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So now, uh, back me up on this because I made a statement to the room here about an hour ago, and I just want to make sure that I've got this right because I'm sitting here getting ready for our interview, and I looked up and I see three people on my screen on Fox News. And then the one on the right looked shockingly like Philip Wegman. And <laughs> and so is this what you and I talked about several months ago, that you, in fact, are now using some lesser brands like Fox News as warm-up acts so that you're ready for the Pat Miller program? Is that what's happening here? Hey, uh, you got you can't go in cold to an interview with Pat uh, Pat Miller. You gotta you gotta warm up first. Yeah, not- um, and and now I'm uh, just a few blocks from the Capitol outside, so you might be able to hear a bit of traffic. Yeah, um, obviously over there they are trying to figure out who's going to be the next Speaker of the House, and as of now, Kevin McCarthy does not have it in the bag. Doesn't have it, and it almost feels like maybe, just maybe, some people in his party. They're not going to let him go under, okay? They're not going to hand over the speakership to the Democrats. It's not going to—I cannot imagine that happening because the country and their party would hold them accountable forever and a day. But I get the real sense that they're like, okay, you have known for two months that this day was coming. You have known that your majority was a sliver— you have you you know the promises that we've made, and I I really got a sense about two weeks ago, Philip, that the Republicans were saying, "Hey, look, my constituents said no more nice guy here, okay? This is what you ran on. You guys need to go in there and you need to do it." And I got the feeling that in the last thirty six hours, that there were several phone calls, meetings, back doors, uh, you know, coffees, everything going on, and they were trying to make this known. To McCarthy, and and I'm not quoting anybody here, but it's like they felt like they were getting a bunch of, yeah, 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 I hear you, that, yeah, that's what we'll do, yeah, yeah. And I don't know that they believe it yet. Mm-hmm. And we started the morning knowing that there were about five members of Congress, five conservatives who are going to oppose McCarthy. What we've since seen in the subsequent ballots yep. is that 19 members of the House, 19 Republicans, have voted against him. That shows that there is a significant and, as of now, um, incalcitrant uh, opposition to him. The 
the pro-McCarthy faction of the Republican Party is about 90 percent of the caucus. And their argument is this is a majoritarian institution. We should be able to decide uh, who is going to be speaker. Kevin's our guy. Let's get this done. But if you talk to that remaining 10 percent, to those members of the House Freedom Caucus, it's not that they have any personal animus against Representative uh, Kevin McCarthy. It's that they want to see significant rule changes, significant changes to how committee assignments get doled out. And this isn't just the standard issue, uh, you know, political infighting. Instead, uh, these conservatives are saying, wait a minute, we need to figure out what good a majority actually is. What are we going to accomplish? How are we going to push back um, Biden and uh, Senate Democrats? And as of now, uh, McCarthy has not convinced them that he's the guy who's going to hold the line. And so we we just had our, our third vote in the House where McCarthy didn't get the required numbers. And I, I think that this could stretch on uh, not, not, not just um, late into tonight, but also perhaps uh, into this week and, and into this month. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, this, this very well could drag out to a very uncomfortable limit uh, for the hoped-for Speaker of the House. And uh, it, it, as a member of the party, it makes me a little uncomfortable because people say, well, they're not going to mess around and goof around to the point that they end up actually accidentally giving it over to the Democrats. I don't know that we're that smart. I, I don't. I don't know that we're going to play that close to the line and not accidentally cross over it. Um, I, I understand that in the meetings yesterday and today, that McCarthy has agreed to the following demands. Now I'll just read them and then let you and I hash these out. To end proxy voting, which started under Nancy Pelosi during COVID. In other words, you don't have to be there. You can sign something or give somebody a code or give them your you know, your ATM password or something, so they can go in and, and they can vote in your in your stead. Limiting bills to a single subject and the ability to zero out salaries of the executive brand during the budgeting. And then finally, and this is a kicker to me, it says he agreed to it, a motion to vacate, which would allow the Republican caucus to more easily remove McCarthy. Um, if he if he agrees to this, and if it's part of of what's going on, and everybody knows it, um, he really is putting a target on his head, isn't he? Yeah, um, and perhaps by making these concessions, he'll pick up the gavel, but that target won't go away. He will become speaker at a very um, uh, anemic status. And these conservatives who held his feet to the fire will be emboldened. They, they won't. They won't be more eager to play nice and, and let uh, business go on as usual. Instead, um, they'll keep on attacking uh, the Republican establishment from its right flank. I think what's interesting about this leadership fight is there's not the antipathy that. Boehner had for conservatives, or even in his later years that Paul Ryan had for the House Freedom Caucus. Mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy spent the last uh, you know two years, four years, really shoring up his right flank. Um, for instance, who was on the floor today 
advocating for his speakership. It was Representative Jim Jordan, yeah. uh, who's who's going to be um, on the uh, oversight committee leading the charge there. He's a former HFC chairman, and now he's an ally of McCarthy. But these holdouts are saying, yeah, those rule changes, uh, those are enforceable only by the speaker, and we don't want a rule change, um, you know, that that you know can go away. That we uh, get basically as a paper concession. We want to be able to maintain this power, and so the the overall question here is, you know, is there anyone? anyone currently in the Republican majority who could be speaker uh, and hold on to that position for more than a couple of years and actually get something done. You know, when you look back, um, I I was thinking the other day, probably the last Speaker of the House that I felt like was maneuvered into the position. It didn't look like at the time he was really going after it. It just kind of happened. Uh, But when you had uh, Paul Ryan... Um, and, and he became Speaker of the House. He wasn't there very long, um, but he had a certain charisma about him where he attracted people to want to be with him. I think there was a lot of pressure on Capitol Hill and off Capitol Hill for Paul Ryan. I, I in, in my gut, I just don't sense that with McCarthy. You know, I, I don't. I don't dislike him, but I don't find that to a great extent I have a whole lot of conservative reasons or history to like him. I I really do kind of wish there was somebody else. Uh, So uh, one name that's been bandied about a little bit is Steve Scalise. He could be a potential um, fallback here. Steve Scalise is a representative from Louisiana. Previously, he chaired the Republican Study Committee, uh, which was not as conservative under his leadership uh, as it has been under Jim Banks. But, you know, conservatives like him. He's got a, a, you know, a winsome personality. And certainly he hasn't been one to shy away from any fights. But... Um, what is difficult about all of this is that these House conservatives who are gumming up the works, it's almost as if they want to have every fight all at once. They want to argue about um, regular order. They want to argue about the way the House should operate. They want to argue about um, how the, the next two years are, are going to look. And it's difficult to sort through all of that because unless you're a real political junkie following, you know, the minutia of the House rules, you probably aren't paying too much attention to this because it doesn't affect your everyday life. But the ramifications from it, the results of these rule changes, um, you know, that will determine whether or not, you know, the the House moves forward with a an omnibus or you know, another massive spending package or, you know, any number of pieces of legislation. And so the reason why House conservatives are digging in currently is because this is the perhaps the last leverage point uh, that they have. If McCarthy becomes speaker and if it comes down to it and they have to make a deal with the White House, um, well, McCarthy is not going to be looking to keep his entire caucus uh, united. More than anything, he's probably going to be looking across the aisle to make a deal uh, with House Democrats. Do you do you get the feeling now, now? Were you were you in the chamber at all today? No, no, I wasn't in the chamber today. Uh, I've been running around, uh, meeting with folks uh, around the hill, and then over at White House. 
But, um, yeah, the, the, this is unprecedented. You have to go back to uh, Civil War times yeah. uh, to find an example of the last time a Speaker of the House had to survive multiple ballots on the floor uh, to become Speaker. And, and, and with McCarthy, um, I'm, I'm, and I'm really struggling here, and I'm, I'm being genuine with you as best I can, uh, you know, as much as I can keep my integrity intact and still be a talk show host. Uh, but but, uh, but when I sit and I watch this, I, I'm struggling to try to decide the motivation. Is this trying to reposition the, the Republican leadership so they really can be more effective uh, in this new Congress? Or are they really trying to hold... McCarthy to the fire here to bring him within an inch of his political life and just scare him to death? It's hard to say. And the reason why I think it might be the latter is because there's no alternative currently. Jim Jordan doesn't have the votes to be House Speaker. Steve Scalise could step in perhaps in an emergency situation. But I think that this is a flexing of the muscles to warn McCarthy um, that, you know, eventually, you know, if he does pick up the gavel and become Speaker, that he shouldn't be um, looking to strike deals with Democrats and the White House. Um, I think that the individual motivations of the 19 who are slamming the brakes on things, um, you know, you can you can listen to what Representative Chip Roy of Texas says and, and hear a pretty principled argument. Um, he connects the parliamentary um, infighting that we're seeing today to, to larger issues of you know, reducing spending, getting the border under control, uh, holding uh, the White House accountable. While others, um, you know, th- there are other members who, you know, it seems frankly that uh, they like getting in front of cameras and they like a lot of attention. Um, you know, Representative Matt Gates, Representative Lauren Bobart, uh, these are members who, until recently, um, you know, weren't exactly common household names, and now they certainly have the spotlight and they seem to be enjoying it. Um, when you watch all that's happening today, and I know we've now had three votes, um, and and he has again lost the third round, it looks like the chamber is clearing out. So my guess is if there's more voting tonight, it'll be after some kind of dinner break. Um, but as this is all going on and as this is all occurring, um, it just there's, – there's a picture where that I saw uh, – where the people were casting their their votes, and he was sitting there in a chair, and it looks to me like one of his aides was next to him, writing down you know um, notes or whatever was going on. And on McCarthy's face, you could almost see. The, I can't believe this is happening to us. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this is happening to me. Because who is going to ride to the rescue currently? Donald Trump can't do it. Right. Trump already endorsed McCarthy. He can't bring over these, um, you know, this conservative, this conservative uh, voting block. He, he can't deliver it. Jim Jordan, the former chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, he can't do it either. And so the question is, um, you know, what is he going to have to give if he really wants to become speaker, or is he going to have to step aside? And I think that this is really where the rubber meets the road when we have some of these larger conversations about populism. People talk about how, oh, well, you know, the conservative populist mentality will 
um, you know, that'll go away with Trump. Well, it clearly hasn't. Um, it, it's in some ways uh, perhaps separate from him. And I'm not sure what was running through McCarthy's mind as he watched these successive votes uh, come and go and as he failed um, one, two, and three times. But I've got to imagine that he really would have liked if there had been a red wave, if there had been, um, you know, 60 or 70 more Republican seats, because what has happened is that as the Republican majority, you know, became slimmer, paradoxically, the Republican majority became more conservative because it meant that uh, House leadership has less of a margin uh, to play around with. And these House conservatives, they have uh, more influence and more sway. So, you know, we'll see how all of this shakes up. Um, but right now, one thing is clear. Uh, Republicans, um, th- th- they're not prepared to move forward on the, uh, you know, promises that they made on the campaign trail. And right now, they don't have a leader. Talking to Philip Wegman from Real Clear Politics. Philip, 60-second question here, my last one for the day. And thank you very much uh, for making time to be with us today. Um if this all craters, who's to blame here? See, t- because to me, this is bigger than McCarthy. This is a failure of the Republicans to resonate with everybody. Is is Rona McDaniel part of this? Is the is the senatorial leadership part of this? Do Republicans say, okay, we won the election, but there was no red wave? Where are we? Yeah, I'm not certain. I remember back in, I think it had to be 2017, during the Obamacare repeal fiasco, um, I had sat down with Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, and I asked them uh, kind of a cheeky question. I said, how many Republican parties are there? And they sort of gave me a a blank look um, and didn't answer the question. The fact of the matter is, there's no unified Republican Party currently. They tried to run strictly on opposition to Biden and generalized grievances. That didn't work in the last midterms. And so now you've got, um, you know, combative conservatives who are saying, wait a minute, you promise one thing on the campaign trail and you deliver another thing here in D.C. And then you've got other Republicans who say, look, you know, we're conservative, but we're pragmatists. We have to get things done. And right now, um, I'm not certain who's to blame for this. But one thing I can say is it doesn't seem that there's anyone currently on the Republican side who is articulating anything close to an agenda that the majority, um, you know, are going to buy into. Well, excuse me, you know, the uh, maybe um, certainly the majority have, have bought into supporting Kevin McCarthy, but uh, an agenda that uh, can get the um, 218 votes that's required to yeah. make them a speaker. Yeah, a couple of things. You brought up one there, but there's, you know, who do you blame? But then at, at the end of the day, if you can't blame somebody, but you just get out of the mess, there's also nobody standing in the wings ready to ride in on a white horse and say, I'm here, I'll save the day, let's get out of this. You know, and everybody does the yippee. You know, there's there's no yippee moment coming, um, and and I think I think maybe we had lulled ourselves into a false sense of security. We thought that we were going to have some great victory. The red wave never came. Uh, certainly, the red tsunami never came. We barely had a red trickle, um, 
And because of that, I think we find ourselves in a position we didn't think we would. Philip, I've got to run. I'm way, way long. I appreciate you, sir. Have a great week. If anything shakes in the next couple of days, uh, give me a holler on the bat phone or something and uh, let me know what's happening, and we'll uh, we'll try to get everything covered, okay? You know where to find me, Pat. Thank you so much. Philip, thank you so very, very much. One of the great guys uh, in journalism from Real Clear Politics, Philip Wegman. Podcasts by Federated Media.